listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, today we are going to talk about the critical marketing questions you're not prepared to answer. And I guess I don't mean you, Jeff, but I mean collectively. (laughs) I think it's the questions that we've noticed that we ask clients often when they they start conversations with us that they often don't have answers to. They need to have answers to them. And we're going to cover a lot of ground. I don't know how many we'll get to. That's why I'm not putting a number on it. Could be five, could be 10, could be 50, who knows. But we'll just jump right in. All right. I only have 30. 30? That's it? That's a, that's a new all-time low for you. Usually you start with like 106. You want to start? Where do you want to start? You want me to start? Oh, I always like you to start. Oh, gosh. Hey, you remember that adage, age before beauty? Mm. Well, you are the older of the two of us, I think. Anyway. I was going to say that you have me on both fronts. (laughs) That's a kind statement. All right. So you said you were in a bad mood. You're not in a bad mood at all. Okay. So (laughs) the first one that jumped out to me, and we kind of shared a few before the call, was just just growth. And the question of uh, how much do you want to grow your firm? I mean, a lot of times, and I I just shared a story coming into this about how we got an inquiry from a small firm that wanted to do a rebrand. And my joke to you was that you've ruined my business because 10 years ago, I just would have said yes and given them a fee to do the rebrand. And now, of course, I say, well, time out. You know, what are we trying to do here? How much do you want to grow? Where do you want to grow? How do you want to grow? And how is this investment in brand going to help that? And asking all those questions that then ultimately the marketing lead couldn't answer because in this particular situation, the marketer really wasn't privy to those things. Those were things that were sort of, in her words, above her pay grade, that the ownership had that information. That's a problem because if you're looking to make a brand investment, you you really need to know how that's going to ladder up to strategic business objectives for the firm, either growth or other objectives that that we think that brand investment is going to solve. Yeah. Whether it's a brand investment or a sales investment or, you know, some kind of line of business investment, you need to understand how to ladder it up. And you said it was the marketing person who didn't know that that it was above his or her pay grade. A lot of my, my work with practice leaders and managing partners, a lot of them don't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> which may be why many marketing leaders don't. You know, some firms aren't going to share it, but other firms simply don't know. Or, or, and this is where I generally take this question in, in talking to clients, is reconciling these growth priorities because normally it's decentralized. Practice says, I'm going to grow this much. And that practice says, I'm going to grow this much. Or there's a number handed down. We need 10% growth or 15% growth. Figure out where it's going to come from. And the firm never can reconcile and agree to its strategic priorities. So I would take this question a couple of layers deeper is, what are the top three strategic growth priorities? Where is that growth coming from? Is it new logos? Is it existing clients? Is it new markets? Is it new solutions? And which ones? Because when you ask that question, they'll say, all of the above. Yes. Okay. Well, which ones? Because you can't grow them all because you've got you know, a two or three person marketing team and you're not investing enough money. In it. So you got to select some of those. So they don't want to answer that question. Some of your strongest thinking and all the times we've been on this podcast, and I don't remember exactly which podcast it is. And when it dawns on me, we'll put it as a, as a related episode. But 
is around that notion of that growth is not heterogeneous, meaning that, you know, a lot of times you see firms say, well, we have these five practices and they're all going to grow 10%. Or mm-hmm. That's the first thing you always say, and, I, and you're, you're so articulate about this, saying, well, no, you have to figure out where the growth opportunities are and then target that. Now, practice one might be your biggest practice, but it might be your lowest growth practice for a whole variety of reasons. And practice five might be your smallest, but it's your highest growth, and it has the most future potential. And you're so elegant about articulating that. And then also, the other gap in that that you see is that even if they've got over that hump and they've said, well, we want this practice to grow considerably 30, 40, 50%. We think it's the high growth practice. Now they allocate resources. Where does resource allocation go? Well, a lot of times that practice still gets starved because it's the smallest and all the money goes to the big, the big practice because they're the ones that lead all the loudest or whatever, right? Yep. You have a really good model for that and you're really articulate about it. I think that's the really interesting part about this too is it's not only just where is the growth going to come from. It's how are you going to get the growth and how are you going to allocate resources to get it? And those are the questions that's like no one's even having that conversation a lot of times, which is kind of crazy, right? We've talked about Google so much, but I was just thinking about, you know, big diversified corporation, Alphabet Corp, right? 90% of the revenue comes from Google search advertising and, you know, another, I don't know, probably 150% of the profit. I have no idea, but it's something like that. But then think how much capital they're flowing into everything else. AI, autonomous vehicles, all these other things are getting tons of money because they think that that's where future growth is going to come from. Not saying they're starving search, but they're putting way more money in AI than they are, you know, core search. Of course, AI fuels search. You know, a a big company thinks that way, but firms a lot of times don't think that way, right? Moving on. What's the next one? (laughs) Give us another one. This is one that often stumps people longer term, and that's, do you actually have the capabilities to attack said growth opportunity? And where have you demonstrated those capabilities? And I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has probably had this conversation in a strategic planning session. We need to move upstream. We need to move up to the C-suite. We need to move up to bigger companies, bigger engagements, which makes perfect sense. I I get that. But when you ask the question, all right, who's going to have the conversation with the C-suite? Who's going to sit down with that CFO? Who's going to sit down with that CEO? And then there's just kind of silence after maybe one or two names. And that's just at a strategic conversation that's or that's required to move upstream to a more sophisticated buyer. And they think somehow that's that's an easy thing to do. And the only reason that they're not having those meetings is because the the C-level buyer just isn't aware of the brand. Well, that may be, but more often than not, the C-level buyer may be aware of the brand and just doesn't see you as relevant in that space. So the question that, that people need to answer is, do you have what it takes to move into where you want to play? And most firms don't want to have that conversation because it makes for hard conversations internally. It's a real hard look in the mirror, or it requires a huge amount of investment in training or acquisition or some other form of, of way to acquire those, those skills. There's a couple layers to what you said that I, I, I want to dive into that are really interesting to me. The first is the conversation that's had in the firm is we need to move up to the C-suite 
That's the first thing, right? The C-suite, mm-hmm. we talk about it like it's a monolith and that everybody yeah. in the C-suite has the same objectives. And as you know, they don't, right? So you have to pick one. You got to say, well, we're going to talk to the CMO or the CIO or the CTO or the chief security officer or the chief medical officer, whatever it is, you got to pick one. And then you know the other layer on that that I was thinking of, you said, well, who's going to have the conversation? The other second is, well, what conversation are you going to have? Because- yeah. It may be that your firm and its current iteration or your whatever it is you do, you're not tooled for that conversation because as you pointed out in our you know podcast about leadership teams, I think it was, there are some conversations that just aren't relevant to that audience. They don't they don't want to talk about that. They don't mm-hmm. want to talk about website conversion and lead gen objectives. Like that's just not what they want to talk about in that leadership conversation. They want to push that conversation down the organization and that's purposeful. And so you have to you're going to have to change your conversation probably. And, and do you know what the conversation is you're going to have or not? And that's a big one, right? So that yeah. was good. That was you're really sure. good. All right. Give us another one. You reframe that really nicely. So I'll let you keep going. I know your list this is longer one. than mine. I don't want to, I don't want to admit that <laughs> my list is really short. I'm going to embarrass myself at like minute 15 of the podcast. This is a, another really important and valuable one, I think, for leadership teams. And that's what has to go right for us to recognize achieve, you know, the growth that we desire. And I think I talked about this and we probably talked about it on the podcast as well, but I definitely wrote a blog on it about evaluating growth opportunities. And a lot of things have to come together in order to be successful. And if you don't know what those are and you don't know what hurdles are in the way of achieving those, then you're not engineering or planning for success. You're hoping for success. And the more you can beat up these growth opportunities and look at what's going to get in the way so that you can plan, you know, whether it's process or people or technology or tactics around it, you're not going to achieve that growth. And most people in firms don't want to ask that question because it means I can't pursue it, right? It's hard work. It's hard work to answer those questions. Is there a cultural thing there too, meaning that it's acknowledging that there are risks that we're going to face that we may not be prepared for and people don't want to admit that? Absolutely. I have a question on my list that I think encompasses so many of these questions generally, and it is how does our cultural help or hinder you know, this desire or pursuit of growth. And there are a lot of hindrances, people that don't want to sell, people that don't want to produce thought leadership, people that are driven by a utilization metric instead of a growth metric, or people that hoard work and don't develop younger people or don't have a client centricity or aren't innovating around new new products and solutions. I mean, culture drives behavior. And if the behaviors aren't aligned with a growth mentality, it's going to to hinder your ability to do that. And everybody knows what the cultural problems are, but nobody wants to ask the question about how is this helping or hindering our growth and how do we either work with it say, we know that our people aren't this way. We are not going to change that. Therefore, we need a different approach to growth. Or we can no longer have a culture that supports and reinforces this bad behavior. We need to manage 
culture and, and develop a culture in a different way. But most fir- firms don't have that. Ask that question. Yeah, I, I may have told this story before. And if I have, stop me. I remember we had an engineering firm client years ago where there was a specific practice that I was convinced. I'm like, we can grow this practice using thought leadership. It was sort of a transactional practice. And I knew that we could we could grab search opportunities and we could basically grow this this practice online, find clients we've never heard of all over the country. And CEO was bought in. He's like, absolutely, we're doing it. And then the guy that ran the practice, we physically could not get him to train people behind him to do the work so that when demand came in, we would be able to deliver. Yet he didn't enjoy the work anymore. Mm. And so we were essentially held hostage by the practice leader. And the CEO eventually gave up. He said, I give up. We can't, we can't do this. And it's just like, wow, you just missed a, a growth opportunity that the CEO knows is there. The, I guess the agency and the marketing lead knows is there, but you can't get the culture inside the firm to react to it. I had another client of mine, it was a commercial construction company where they had, the owner had worked really, really hard to get them into Walmart at a sort of large scale of work. And he couldn't get anybody on his team to support working with them. They ended up not working with him. He was like, you know, it would be, it would have been lower margin work, but it would have been massive scale. He's like, it would have been, could have grown exponentially potentially, but couldn't happen. I don't say this much, but don't dismiss the importance of, of culture and, and, you know, and behaviors and what people are willing to do and not do. And if to get your growth target, something that you always say. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal. Divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So... The one that I always find interesting is what does an ideal client look like? How frequently firms just really do not have any answer to that question. Usually the response I'll get when I ask that question is, well, we have four or five. And (laughs) well, okay, that's kind of okay. I mean, yeah, you have different sides of your business. And of course, there's different buyers for different sides of the business. Okay, I can kind of understand that. But at the end of the day, isn't there one that's better than all else? I mean, isn't there one client that you know is the best client you could have? And I would always say to them, I'm like, you know, so you're a 30, 40, 50 million dollar firm and you can't answer that question. Yet I know the CMO of like one of the largest credit card companies, credit card service providers in the world at the time, half a billion dollar company. He could answer that in a stringed paragraph, like off the top of his head at any moment at any time. To me, it was saying, well, the need to understand that is even more critical in a smaller organization because you've got less resources to put to bear to things, right? But it's a question that that very few firms can answer. And when they do answer it, it's incomplete. I mean, I always say, well, I've I, lately I've been breaking it down into firmographics, demographics, and psychographics. You know, so what is the nature of the company that we want to do business with? Who are the people inside the company want to do, do, do this business with? And then what are they thinking and feeling right now about what it is that we do? It's trying to get that type of wrap around it to say that, okay, now we can do something with that. We can produce a piece of thought leadership that resonates with that person in that company, in that situation, with that need, feeling that way. And that will logically start a conversation. We do it right. But man, it's hard to do when you don't have that answer, right? Oh my gosh. I I think it's impossible. Well, no, it's not impossible. It just takes a lot more time, money, and effort if you don't answer that question. I insist all my clients answer that and answer it concretely. 
if you ask that, who's our ideal client in a firm, you would get a hundred different answers. And it's all going to be someone, well, anyone with buying authority, a need, time, you know, it's just your, your bant, right? Anybody that'll pay yeah. us, right? And I understand why people say that, but yeah, it's, it's bad. You need to answer that question. All right. Well, I think we have time for maybe one more. It's going to be a short podcast today. Okay. I know you have a brilliant one. I don't. I was waiting for you. I mean, I'm sure I have a brilliant one, but <laughs> well, it'll be the one that's left off the list. That's just conspicuously at the, uh, you know, at the 23rd minute of the podcast when the podcast ended at 2230. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So rapid fire, rapid fire. Oh, rapid and fire. Okay. I, I find this one is so difficult for people to, to answer and it may be why they don't ask it, but I don't think that's the reason why. I think they don't think to ask it. And that is, what problem do you solve for your clients? And that was mine. You stole mine. That was the number 31. I, yeah, I gave you a chance to throw it up. And, and we, both, <laughs> we both had that on our list. But it is, it's so important because we think, as professional services firms, we think in terms of solutions. But buyers don't necessarily think in terms of solutions. They think in what's the problem. And almost every prospect I meet with, they don't understand what people are actually buying. They think they're buying this specific solution when really, you know, they're, they're buying a, and it's almost trite to say this, the benefit of the solution. Right. I was with a prospect this past week and they do pressure testing of very mission critical parts on assembly lines and refineries, you know, where, you know, the engineers designing these things want to make sure that they're going to work. And there's any number of reasons why someone would test that part. It could be to reduce liability and they just want validation that the part was tested. It could be to reduce warranty costs. It could be to, you know, protect the life of one of their workers or one of their customers. Could be to reduce, you know, cost or downtime on a line. It could be all of those. But if you're not even thinking in those terms and you only think of pass fail, yeah, pass, yeah, it failed, you're missing out on a golden opportunity to not only differentiate your firm, but to really drive growth both from a sales and marketing perspective, but also a solution or product development perspective as well, is you're understanding what are they actually buying? And most firms just don't ask that question. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we have a, a very straightforward framework that we use to message a practice, to message a service page, just to message something that you're trying to sell. And the framework is problem, solution, benefit. It's three steps, right? And I've gotten pushback over that from the years. People will say to me, well, our clients know what their problems are. Number one, I, I found often they, they, they don't. They think they know what their problem is, but sometimes they've misunderstood it or, or they're looking for you to, to restate it. But number two, that's the most important part because you're, you're showing to them that you understand what their problems are. <laughs> that's the most important part of it, that you have a clarity in, in view on the problem that they're facing and the way your solution has been designed to solve that problem or problems. And to me, it's, it's the most critical thing. And you look across 
and, and at times I waver on this. Sometimes I think, oh, maybe I'm thinking about this all wrong. Maybe we should go straight to solution. And maybe it'd be a lot simpler, a lot more straightforward. But when you look across the landscape of the marketplace, I would argue that it's that understanding of the problem definition that drives everything. It drives, like you said, solution design. Oh, it probably drives value pricing as well. I'm just going to say you probably make more when you're really designing a, a solution that creates a benefit that solved the, the client's original problem versus just selling them a you know a straightforward pass or fail in your in your example, right? So the, everything comes from that pricing, solution, in investments, client understanding, marketing strategy, everything comes from that understanding, that definition. So it's really fascinating. We have a hard stop today, so we have to kind of wrap it up here. This was a really fun discussion. I enjoyed this. So we could we could do this one again. There's there's I'm sure there's a ton left on the cutting room floor on your side. I know there's a lot of mine mine as well too. So thanks for joining yeah. me on this exploration of questions and answers, I guess. That was fun. Now, listeners, Go ask those questions and answer them. Yeah. <laughs> the hard part, right? It's easy to name them. It's another thing to actually answer them. You know, we didn't answer this question. This is an important one. Is who asked the question of whom? Hmm. Think about that. Yeah, who should you. be answering that question? <laughs> All right, man. Have a great rest of the week. See you, buddy. See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal. Divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Bow, bow, bow.